You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, Gospel Hope, and welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. Uh, Man, we are jumping back into our True Treasure series here, and this week we are talking about a very familiar passage of Scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But kind of, uh, Rod put a little bit of a different spin and shows how our actions uh, show what we treasure. So without any further ado, uh, let's dive in and talk about uh, that excellent message that you preached to us, Rod. So uh, first of all, I think maybe the, the catchiest statement you made in the whole sermon was this idea of you can live in the book, uh, but does the book live in you? So, yeah. so basically, some way it's possible to really know the Bible and live in the Bible, but not yeah. have the Bible live in you. So, h- how is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Lord, uh, David, and his conversation with the Lord would talk about, you know, um, the people um, maintaining all of the rituals of the of the temple, but their hearts being far from Him, even though they were maintaining all of the rules. Jesus on a regular basis spent a lot of time hammering certain members of the Pharisaic crew on how deeply knowledgeable they were, but yet didn't seem to have the kind of lifestyle follow through. And I think that theme, James, right, saying, hey, man, you can have a good religion, but not necessarily the works that follow. And so this is not a new, this isn't a new idea. And I think it's really you know, emblematic of something that we even talk about in Gospel Hope 101 for anybody that's been through that. Uh, we don't want to become spiritual cul-de-sacs, people that study the Bible deeply, have a really high knowledge of God's word, but a low level of execution in terms of how they're living and their relationships and connectivity with other people. But it, mm-hmm. it's really just the the, the age old uh, idea of being both a hearer and a doer. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, man, you can we can live in the ivory towers of really airtight theology, but have no relationships and no real, no relationship capital with anyone around us. Uh, we can live in echo chambers where we just live in a lot of worlds of confirmation bias, where we don't engage with others uh, who, who, who may sharpen us. Mm-hmm. Um, but above all things, we can have God's word um, resonating heavily in the mind but not necessarily living and actively transforming us. We can, you know, you and I, we also talk about in Gospel One-on-One, you know, the gospel being kind of this message that we initially concede to, but it doesn't become an ongoing part of our continuity of growth. We just kind of, it's a placeholder, if you will. So uh, you, you, could, you could just spin this thing in so many different directions, but it all points to the same thing that that um, you can live in the book. You can have wonderful deep knowledge of God's word, but those words not have any real fruit in your life. Mm. And that fruit will be best expressed through how it shows up in the way we treat other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Lord isn't looking for just really great Bible trivia players. Uh, he yeah. just wants people whose lives are transformed by the word. Um you know, you, you, you went through the story and you, you pointed out all the characters. There's the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan um, and the lawyer who kind of asked the question to set the story up. And you said, 
you know, in some ways we should see ourselves in all of these guys. But you also made the point that we should all see ourselves as the man that got beat up and was robbed in the story. What, why do you say that? Yeah, because if you look at how the, the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road, it demonstrated just this trifecta of helplessness. Um, no money, uh, no personal abilities. So bankrupt, right? For lack of a better word stripped of his own strength because he's laying there. It wasn't like he limped to the end and someone found him leaning over the chair. No, he was on the side of the road, uh, half dead, which is a very reminiscent of this idea of being the walking dead or dead in our own trespasses. And I think you mm -hmm. see where I'm going. I, I think there was just multiple layers of the helplessness and total dependency on someone else to come along and help that is emblematic of what we would define as depravity. Not only am I not able to perform in a in a in a an unoptimal way, I don't have the ability to pull myself up by my proverbial bootstrap. I don't have any boots spiritually, <laughs> right? So we are totally helpless and needy of others to step into our lives. That is that is the, the that is to me uh, a beautiful depiction, beautiful but tragic depiction of all of our state before God outside of Christ. Mm. Helpless, strengthless, resourceless, unless someone else shows us compassion. Mm. Which brings me to my next question. You know, you emphasize this idea of compassion and, and showing Christ-like mm -hmm. compassion throughout the message. Um, you know, we live in a culture that, you know, we talk about compassion, but there's also kind of a culture of constant outrage and slacktivism. So how does yeah. the Good Samaritan inform those ideas or, or help us to battle against that idea yeah yeah i mean you know obviously one of the the new tones of uh if you want to call it some of the the tones of cultural outrage is that you know we can always quickly identify where someone else needs to be doing better like we we have become resident experts at dissecting deficiencies in character but we don't have the same energy towards stepping in and helping others who need help. Hmm. So, you know, if you are that kind of person that looks at people that are downtrodden and go, you know what, that's just perpetual laziness, failure to execute on resources, and you need to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. You need to get better. You need to do better. Man, there is a space in life for that person to hear loud and clear. There is a, there is a type of helplessness where we need others to help us up. And, uh, and it's not uh, to blame the victim. But I remember the words, there was a, I don't know what the setting was, but it was uh, former President Barack Obama who talked about real activism didn't sit behind a keyboard and, and calling people to account. So he was talking, that's slacktivism. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, 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 you're always outraged about something, but your best effort is to go tweet or post. Um, you know, some of the best activism that we can have is to get our hands dirty in the lives of people that have need. And man, it completely changes your tone when you get hands-on with the issues of life. And when I say hands, we're not talking about the people that are, you know, that are beating up the keyboards and cracking their knuckles every 15 minutes trying to come up with their best essay or their best twist. It's when you put your hands on, when you get hands-on in the lives of people that have need, Man, it changes your tone. You know why? Because you are compelled to help some people that you might otherwise not cross the tracks to take a look at. 
which is I think is exactly the depiction that we have of the of the Good Samaritan. He's the least likely character to come over and help someone who's fallen. Um, and can we be that least likely character? And I think when we when we step out of our comfort zone, step out of our uh, predetermined lanes of cultural preference, whatever you want to call it. There's so many different uh, ways to look at this, but um, man, when we when we as a culture decide, you know what, let me let me go, let me be inconvenienced in some way to help someone that I normally wouldn't necessarily be called to help, or I wouldn't feel compelled to help. That act of compassion reorients our heart toward people who might be radically different from us. There's, it, it wasn't explicitly stated in text, but there's no doubt in my mind that based on the character profile that Jesus looked at, the lawyer who was a student of word, the priest who was a student in the ceremonies, the Levite who was a student of holiness, that that person laying on the side of the road was probably a fellow Jewish man. Because the story loses its teeth or its punch if it wasn't the Samaritan who doesn't have all of those uh, boxes of uh, elite classification. If he doesn't check on, it, it, the, the, the Good Samaritan wouldn't be the, the, the punchiest character to perform the act of compassion if the person went on the side of the road hadn't also probably been Jewish. Someone mm -hmm. who was like the others, but radically different from the Samaritan. And so I, I think it's just a high call for us to be on the lookout for the Lord calling me to step into the lives of people who I might otherwise be really compelled to leave on the side of the road. You get what you deserve or you shouldn't have done that or here you are. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, so I, I think it's um, it, it, it's a really, it's, it was really punchy, man, reading that. So I'm, a, man, I'm on the lookout. I'm on the lookout. Lord, did I just walk by somebody because it was inconvenient or because that's not my cup of tea? They don't have the, the character profile of people that I typically like to serve and help. Um, and so, and then what does it look like for me to get my hands dirty? That's another one that was huge for me in just in terms of what it's doing in my heart. What does it look like for me to get my hands dirty? Because it isn't dirty hands if I can do it effortlessly. It's like, huh, feel good about that. I wrote a check to that, you know, as we talked about in some other messages, how we can get into helping people, but doing it with a 10 foot pole, so to speak. So we don't have mm -hmm. to get dirty. Mm -hmm. That's good. So we talk about at Gospel Hope growing in three relations. God, one another, and the world. Uh, which one of those or which of those were you thinking most about? And, and the statement that I'd love to hear you interact with is you said something to this effect. The way that I treat my neighbor reflects what I treasure. And so how is a growing Christian in those relationships, how does that relate to your treasure? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at that neighbor relationship, how I treat uh, my neighbor or how we grow in relationship with one another, but also how I treat the world, right? The grown relationship with the world. Because in all likelihood, man, if I press into this message at the highest level, it isn't going to be the people that I'm most conveniently connected to, like my proverbial next door neighbor at Gospel Hope, who, mm -hmm. man, I love an O'Gara or I love a land or I'd love to step in and help you out because you're my homie. You know, we, mm -hmm. we're the, the pastors of Gospel Hope. But is there somebody that is uh, right under my nose, as I like to call it, um, um, who's, who, who also meets that classification as my neighbor, somebody who in the world I can grow my relationship with? Because the way I would treat the home team, you know, it's easy. But how do I treat the, the, the visitor, so to speak? Um, I think this is where that message really um, uh, challenges us to, as Jesus did for the, for the, um, Jesus did for the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I would love to keep the definition of my neighbor to something local, easy, and convenient. 
Mm-hmm. But Jesus seems to blow that completely out of the frame in, in, in several ways. Those that we would dare to go bear their burdens. Uh, it would be a daring act, right? Mm-hmm. Very much like the one that he on the cross, right? So, yeah. you know, he would, he would dare to die. You know, we were still weak and, with, and, and in our sins. Um, we have folks like that in our lives. And I got to believe that for believers, they're all over the place because it's part of how the Lord will sanctify us and acquaint us with the identity of Christ. Part of our sanctification to have a very broad, a broader definition of who my neighbor is. That's good. Now you started to go there just now, but how does this passage display the reconciling hope of the gospel? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, again, if, if I'm prepared to put it, to be honest about myself, you know, the gospel is the great equalizer. And the way that it equalizes is it shows that every one of us, regardless of where we are today, as a lawyer, a Levite, a priest, uh, we started out as the person passed out on the side of the road. Uh, And the reconciling hope of the gospel is this. No matter where you find yourself in those classifications, man, there is hope for you. There's hope for you if you're the lawyer, the theologically heady one who hardly helps anybody and you believe your greatest service to humanity is to help us with our systematic theology, you know, that's hope for you, that, that you can get gritty and, and, and start helping people. If you're the priest who has been tucked away and preoccupied with doing great religion uh, from a distance, but not really uh, getting in there, man, there's hope for you that you can change that. And why can we change it? Because Jesus is the one who makes this daring style of service and caring possible through the power of the gospel. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything in the gospel that he hadn't already both done for us and modeled constantly in the lives of others. Um, and so, um, and all we have, to, not all we have, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this, but if we could just remember the fact that if I'm really a believer, I was the man on the side of the road needing help. And so even if I'm that person today, there is hope. If you're a person that is right now in your life feeling stranded, you know, marooned on the roadside and helpless and no one's coming your way. Trust me, uh, there's hope. There's somebody, the Lord is going to send someone your way. And uh, and I hope that we would all put our hands up and say, Lord, you know, send us. Yeah, you know? that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, this passage is certainly a call to mercy. Like we should have mercy and compassion on others. But I think first, you're exactly right we can show mercy because we've received mercy. We can show compassion because we first received compassion. Uh, We were the guy on the ditch before we can ever be the Samaritan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that word. And for, you know, always pointing us back to Christ. Uh, I I was encouraged and, um, you know, just really, um, I I thought that handlebar of, of letting the book live in us, that just really struck me. And I was like, man, I, I really want, to not just be transformed in my head, but in my heart and in my hands. It it should show up. So thanks for your ministry to us. Looking forward to continuing this series. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Gospel Hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.